The emphasis today is on fruitful faith. We're going to go through just the first part of Colossians, just a small section. I want to remind you where this fits, likely uh, where it fits in the epistles of Paul. So I'm going to show you a chart up behind me. You'll see that. You can see that there's a couple of different opinions up behind me, but both have it in the order that we've gone through it. So we have Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. We wrapped up Philippians last week. We pick up with Colossians today. I would like to give you a quote from the Expositor's Bible Commentary. Now, there are we'll have some upcoming classes in the near future here that I'm quite excited about. And one of them is a class where we will inundate you with a bunch of resources One of them I will highly recommend to you is the Expositor's Bible Commentary. And here's a quote. In this epistle, it is the dignity and soul sufficiency of Jesus Christ as the mediator and head of all creation and of the church. That's kind of the gist of Colossians. So I'd like to begin by reading verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. And if you don't mind, I'd like to back up and take a look at two of Paul's other letters that begin very similarly. Check this out. This is Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 and the first part of verse 2. Paul, an apostle... Not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with us. I like that particular introduction because it's similar to ours, but also because it kind of flies in the face of modern beliefs. People like to argue and say, how could you believe a book that's just written by man? Paul very clearly says this is not by man. This is by God. But he's also given credit to Timothy that's helping him with this. Did you catch that? Or or to brothers that are with him, I'm sorry. Uh, We had in Colossians, Timothy is helping him. But notice in Philippians, check this out. This is the first part of verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So in each one of these, Paul is not writing this all by himself. He has other people writing it with him. And he clarifies quite clearly, none of this is by man. This is by God. This is inspired stuff. And this is the way Paul does this. It's a fascinating thing. People get all bothered because, was this written by men? Yes. But God used them as his instruments. This is his pattern. This is what he does. This is what he's trying to do with you. And we're going to talk about that in greater detail today. That's my COVID handkerchief right there. So I always make sure I get some little bit, a little bit on there, put it in my back pocket, just so I have it with me. Uh, I'm tested every week, just so you know, sometimes twice a week. Uh, but we're all tested in all kinds of ways, aren't we? Here, let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Paul begins this way in his letters on a regular and consistent basis. His 
he's got a reputation. If you listen very much to people who don't really believe in the inspiration of Scripture, they would never say that, but they act like that. They'll say things like, Paul's a chauvinist. You've heard this kind of stuff, haven't you? Or they'll, they'll just attack Paul. Paul was kind of harsh. Really, if you read any of his letters and he begins with grace and peace, does that sound harsh to you? doesn't to me. sounds like his approach, at least, is quite gentle. I appreciate his approach. And he's writing this to an entire church. It's quite possible that this entire book might apply well to our church. So let's go ahead and jump into this. And before we do this, I want to show you something. I want, I want to tell you something. You're going to notice this. I actually had to shrink the font in order for it to get on the slide behind me. Now, we will, if the Lord permits, and that's another way of saying God willing, I hope that I get to teach you some classes, or maybe we'll bring in other people who are more skilled. I hope to teach a class on how to build PowerPoint presentations, because some of us need to know this, and publisher, and things like that. I've been doing it a long time. I'd love to teach you. If we have somebody else who's better at it, I would love to have them teach all of us, and then I can learn something. But I, there are certain rules, basic principles when you do a presentation about font size. Maybe you've been in a presentation where somebody th- throws something up behind them and everybody's like, what? I can't, I can't read that. Okay, today I think we'll still be okay, but I did shrink the font and I did also, I had to expand it a little bit because it just wouldn't fit. Why did I do that? Because Paul is doing what Paul does frequently through his letters. I don't know if you've paid careful attention, but I brought it to your attention in Philippians. He has these forever sentences. He just doesn't leave any stone unturned. He covers his bases. Now, let's back up a minute. Wait a minute. Let's let's go ahead and be very clear. This is not Paul. This is not from man. This is God. He doesn't leave any stone unturned. Now, let me tell you something about that concept. I want wanted to put this in your head by illustrating it with the very scripture we're going through today. If God is that way, think about this. Think about this. We serve a God that doesn't leave any stone unturned. He wants to give you every tool available for your success. That, that's a wonderful God. But think about this, because there are people that call themselves atheists. I personally don't believe atheists exist. I don't believe in them. And that's fair. I mean, they say my God doesn't exist. They say they know it. They know God does not exist. Well, I say I know atheists don't exist. Well, I've met a few that say they are atheists. I get this concept from a guy, I don't have a slide for you, his name is, uh, uh, let me think, got to park it in my brain, uh, Dear Agnos is the name of the book, and it's Arlie J. Hoover, Dr. Arlie J. Hoover, who is a very respected professor. Dr. Arlie J. Hoover wrote Dear Agnos, it's a, it's a book, it's not super hard to read, but it's written to those that claim they are atheists. And in the first very short chapter, he totally destroys the idea that you can be an atheist because his argument is the best you can be is a hopeless agnostic. 
Because an atheist, a true atheist who says they know, they have the knowledge, they know there is no God, they would have to be claiming a very big thing if they know this. Because what if God is the kind of God that when you go looking for him, he hides behind a tree? And then when you go look behind a tree, he crawls under a rock. In order for you to know there is no God, you would have to claim that you know all things. So you can't be an atheist. The best you can be is a hopeless agnostic. And that takes us back to Alexander Campbell and that story I t shared with you that he said, you're very much like a goat. If <laughs> Goats don't live with hope. They just live life, eat, drink, lay down, rest. That, that's, that's a big difference in a Christian and a non-Christian is a Christian lives with hope. And I love that. So, with all of that, that was just a precursor to God leaves no stone unturned. Here we go. And I'm not even, I, I'm not exaggerating at all. This is a long, long sentence. Here we go. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it, is, as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it, and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. I told you, that is a long sentence. If you ever want to practice, if you want to try to be better at like the dirty jobs guy, He's got so many jobs, maybe you've flipped the channel and heard his voice. He narrates a lot of things. He's got a good voice. He's got a good reading voice. Maybe you can think of other people and you want to have a better reading voice. This is good practice. Colossians, Philippians, good practice. See if you can just read the sentence and make it sound listenable. It's difficult because he didn't leave any stone unturned. So... I want you to pay careful attention to that first part. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And he goes on to talk about the encouraging things that he hears about them. I want to remind you by taking you back to Philippians because it's very similar. And I tried to encourage you to do this. Not only did I try to encourage you to do this, I tried to do better myself at telling you this. Some of you have heard me. Maybe some of you don't remember, but I think several of you have heard me say, something like this to you. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from this day, the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I've said to several of you, and if, I, if you don't remember me saying it, and if I haven't said it, understand this, if I've met you, and I've heard your name, I've thanked God for you. 
And if I know you well, I've done it a bunch. And it's not because I'm special. It's because I just happen to be a servant of the king. And I've had plenty of people who did that for me throughout my life. And I'm very motivated by scriptures like this. So back to that passage, that lengthy one, you'll see it up behind me again. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Paul has looped in Timothy. Now notice he had help with his other books too, but this particular one, this letter, he is including in his conversation the pronoun we. Did you catch that? Now, if you haven't spent much time going through the book of Acts, you should pay attention to the we there. Because the book of Acts was written by Luke. And every time you see we from the author, that means Luke was there when it was happening. And that's kind of cool. Here we know this is Timothy. So Paul is including Timothy. We always thank God. I love that. When you are going about your week and somebody comes to mind that God has put in your path, I encourage you, when you think of them, think of whatever it is positively you can about them and then thank God for them. Thank God for those positive things. Do you know what that'll do for you? That'll help you focus. For one thing, you're talking to God. That does not hurt you. Another thing, you're thinking positively about somebody else that God loves and you're supposed to love. So good for you. And so you're doing God's will. That's a wonderful thing. I want to help you out a little bit further. And this is one of those things that happens and it's, it's a difficult thing to, to balance. But sometimes you will run into somebody at work, in the neighborhood, or wherever you interact with others, you'll run into somebody that is not a Christian that you have to deal with on a regular basis. And it's disturbing. It bothers you. It's like, because not only are they not a Christian, they seem to oppose your Christianity, and so it bothers you. And that's natural. It should. But I'm going to flip that a little bit, because on the other side of that, every now and then you meet somebody at the gym, you meet somebody at, at wherever you work or wherever you interact, and you didn't know it, but the next thing you know, you discover they're a Christian. So you want to tell other people, hey, did you know I found out this person I work with happens to be a Christian too? And that feels good because we can relate, we can have fellowship with them, and we do a lot of those things well. But let me encourage you in another way. I want, I want to kind of flip this a little bit. Is it possible that we can rethink that whole thing a little bit and do even better? Is it possible that we could actually get excited when we learn that the person we have to interact with, with on a regular basis is not a Christian? Could we get excited about the opportunity that God has given us? He put us in their path. They don't know Jesus. Do you understand why he chose you to put in their path? You, you understand this is not a coincidence. You, you're supposed to be in their path because they need to know Jesus. And you know Jesus. Hiding under a bushel? No. They need to see Jesus in you. This is something to get more excited about than that person that you met that happens to be a Christian. Because they're okay. If we could shift our thinking a little bit like that, 
I think we can come out of this whole plague and be better at the other end of it. And more people will know Jesus because people who already know Jesus can't stop talking about it, can't stop sharing it with people who don't know. So I want to help you with that. So we want to thank God for the people that we know. We thank God for those people that are Christians. But I thank God that He puts people in my path that, that don't like me because I'm a Christian. He puts people in my path that I have problems with because they don't relate to why I do what I do because they don't know Jesus. That's an opportunity for me. I, you know, you know my what I do Monday through Thursday, there's a lot of people God puts in my path who have reject, rejected Jesus in all kinds of ways. And I get to go to very dark places and shine the light of Jesus. And it's an honor. Okay, so I wanted to share that with you. I want to go ahead and go, um, as we look at this, I want, there's a whole lot here. I hope you take more time than we're taking now in dissecting this because he leaves no stone unturned. But I want you to focus on one particular piece right here, bearing fruit. Did you catch that in the middle of all of this? The whole, and I wish, we, if we had more time, when I'm in the Dominican Republic, I can preach for two hours and they get angry when I quit. They want me to keep going. But that's... There's a Super Bowl today or something. But anyway, um, so bearing fruit is, is a, a very key thing. It's going to come up again in our text. But there's a whole, there's a whole lot more here. I, I wish I had more time. There's one piece I do want to pay attention to. Notice the fellow servant there in verse 7. That fellow servant actually means co-slave. That's, that's literally what that means. Co-slave. And who is this Epaphras? Well, he's, he's mentioned before, but it was Epaphroditus. I have yet to find a theologian who thinks it's a different individual. This is just apparently a shortened version of the longer name. And some translations of the meaning of that word mean handsome. <laughs> How about that? Must have been a nice-looking guy. Or at least his mother thought he would be when she named him. I don't know. And so that's a long, long sentence. <laughs> I want you to pay attention to this. Before we launch fully into the next chunk, look at how it starts. Watch this. And so. He starts with and. Are you kidding me? He's not done. He's continuing to leave no stone unturned. I told you, this is the God we serve. He's continuing the thought, and he's got some more for us. So we'll look at the whole thing now. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance 
and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. When you see that word saints, it simply means Christians. That's all it is. You're a saint if you're a Christian. It's funny when people say, well, I'm a Christian, but I ain't no saint. Well, that's uh, contradictory because they mean the same thing. What, the, what people are trying to do when they say that is, I'm a Christian, but I don't really live it. I want Jesus as my Savior, but not as my Lord. That's what they mean. They're not living for Him. They're just, they just want to somehow sneak in the back door of heaven, which there is none, by saying, well, okay, I'm not going to say I don't believe, or something like that. You've met people like this, right? They think somehow that is a safety net that'll catch them. You know, that God's grace is far bigger than he says that it is. Well, he tells us, if you want the Savior, you need the Lord. So we have to live for him. But he continues with the and, so let's let's pick this apart a little bit more because there's some meat in here that's very good for us. So he emphasizes, not only do they pray for them, they thank God for them, they continue to pray. They don't stop. They started and they continue. So one of those things, when somebody's name comes to mind, somebody's image comes to your head, some, you think about somebody, why not thank God for them and pray for them? Why not just have happy thoughts? And I would encourage you to take it further and even tell them, like Paul did, tell them that you pray for them. Tell them that you thank God for them. You know how that feels? Have you been told that? Some of you, I know, have. So do that. And he says specifically, he's asking, look at this, he's asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Isn't that funny? Because there's a lot of people that actually say things that strongly imply that God's will always happen. Well, if it's meant to be, then it'll happen. Well, since it happened, it must have been his will. That, then God gets blamed for everything. Don't, don't buy that. Jesus prayed that God's will be done when he was about to go to the cross. Remember that? Your will be done. Three times with tears and great emotion. He fell to the ground and prayed that God's will would be done. When he taught us how to pray, he said, this is how you should pray. And in it, he said, your will be done. There's nothing wrong with praying for God's will to be done, because I know in my life, I don't always do God's will. I keep messing up. That's not his will that I mess up. That's my will. And he's praying, they are praying for the Christians in in Colossae, that they will have the knowledge of his will. See, it's, see you can't really uh, have a very good chance of doing his will if you don't know it. It's a good prayer. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then he talks about their behavior when he says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And you think, well, nobody's perfect. Yeah, I know. But even if you look at the life of somebody like David. Remember David? David's the one that God said, he's a man after his own heart. But David royally messed up more than once. And it got printed in our Bible. When you talk to other people about the Bible and the authenticity of this, that's one thing you could talk about. 
because there are other books and other cults, <laughs> not other cults, but cults, other religions that call themselves uh, religions but are actually cults. Uh, they, uh, they have books, not the Bible, and, and in, in, in their literature, they write quite well about all their heroes, but they don't include the bad. Have you noticed that? Because when God had this inspired, he included the dirt on some of the most godly people in here. David, he royally messed up. And even though he royally messed up, God still blessed him. He forgave him after David repented, of course. And then the Son of God actually came as a result of that original sin. They they stayed together and had another child. And through that line came the Messiah. God is a gracious God. We don't have to be perfect. You just have to be like David. And when you are called on it and you realize, oh, I messed up, you own it and you change. And you try to right the wrongs you can as best you can. God can forgive you. He can use you. So, you want to be fully pleasing to the Lord. That has to do with your attitude toward Him, even when you get caught making mistakes. It continues. Check this out in the bearing fruit. Did you see that? Bearing fruit. I told you it would come up again. In every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There's that knowledge of God. That keeps coming up. Truth keeps coming up. Knowledge of God keeps coming up. If you want to do a deep study, I've brought this up before, there is a subject called epistemology, something that most of us don't have in college. If you've, if you've even done graduate work, maybe even postgraduate work, you might not have even studied epistemology. And that's the study of knowledge. How do we know what knowledge is? How do we get knowledge? What is knowledge? Interesting. So if you want to have fun, go deep in, deeper into what we're going to do today. Learn what the study of knowledge is all about. How do you get knowledge? How do you know what knowledge is? What is knowledge? And here, Paul and Timothy are praying for the church to have knowledge. And it's, and it's repeated. So it must be important. And notice what it is. It's knowledge of God. If you want knowledge of God, and that sounds big to me. I don't know about you. When you start talking about what is knowledge, how do you get knowledge, all that kind of stuff, and you take it to the next level, knowledge of God, ooh, that's bigger. How do you get that? I want that. I'm fine with skipping the other stuff, whatever all that other is with epistemology. I'm fine with skipping that. I want to go fast forward, give me the knowledge of God, because that. That's impressive stuff right there. You want to know? I can tell you right now. It's in this book. This is it. He gave it to us. This is his knowledge that he wants us to have. He he put together, in a nutshell, what he knows we need to live this life on earth. It's right here in the Bible. You can't get better than that. This is the knowledge of God. Wow, Christians, if we really believe that, do you know how much we'd be digging in this on a daily basis? He's praying for the church to have knowledge of God. Repeats it. 
And then notice this. This is a cool shift here, being strengthened. Now, we just talked about that last week, didn't we? That God's not promising in that Philippians section that he's going to make it better. He's going to make it go away. He's going to just miraculously step in. And he will do those things sometimes. But he was not saying that in the Philippian letter. And he's not saying that right here. He's saying he will strengthen. And he's, saying, he's praying right here. He's praying that they will be strengthened with all power. Because that's where our strength comes from. We learned that last week. So in other words, God's telling us that... We should rely on his strength to get through the hard stuff. Don't just expect that he's going to make the hard stuff go away, but rely on his strength to get through it. That, that's a good concept to wrap our heads around. So being strengthened with all power, look, look at this, according to his glorious might. Once again, this all has everything to do with God's capabilities. Now, let's talk about that just for a second. What are God's incapabilities. We just learned last week, we can do all things through him who strengthens us. God doesn't have any incapabilities. He can do what he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, with whoever he wants. So if we're going to talk about being strengthened with God's power, according to his glorious might, do you realize that kind of power we're tapping into, that, that's remarkable, unspeakable. We can't, how do you even wrap words around what God's capable of doing? And he's praying for this for the church. That's a good prayer. And look, check this out. For all endurance and patience. Now, how about that? That God would strengthen us with everything he's got which is a lot, for endurance and patience. That's that tenacity thing I was talking about. When you see endurance, I love that word tenacity. That's, that's just keeping on going. When you feel like quitting, God can give you what it takes to keep going. Sometimes, the, sometimes the, it's a matter of will that will get us through some of these hard times. And then patience, that's a difficult thing. Patience, the most patient people you know have been through a whole lot of stuff. But notice that little last part we can't leave out, with joy. We're going to endure the hard stuff. We're going to be patient through the difficult stuff with joy. That's what God's praying or having Paul and Timothy pray for the Colossian church. And then giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the Christians in light. Now, isn't that fascinating? So we're supposed to have confidence in knowing that we have hope that lies ahead. We don't have any lack of confidence. We can know. And that's a wonderful thing. Now, talking about that bearing fruit, I would like to take you back to a passage. And if the Lord's willing, we're going to peel this back quite a bit in the future. But John chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus said, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus clearly states that we are supposed to prove that we are His by the fruit we produce? That's how other people are going to know 
whether we're genuine or not, by the fruit that we produce. Isn't that interesting? John Wesley said this. I'll give you a quote. You'll see it up behind me. This is the highest point, not only to know, to do, to suffer the whole will of God, but to suffer it to the end, not barely with patience, but with thankful joy. We are expected to suffer through the difficulties with thankful joy. Now, that's a little bit complex, and it's more difficult than it sounds. But I want to show you the all comedy is born out of tragedy symbol, the two masks. You'll see them up behind me. And as you see these, oh, I have something else. Let me give you a scripture. JC is on task, and I'm off. I'll read to you Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is the passage, uh, verses 13 and 14, that is tied to the masks. I gave you a little bit of a heads up. Let's look at the masks now. There they are, comedy and tragedy. What has happened? Now, you look at these masks. One looks very stressed. And the other one looks not so much. So in not talking about comedy and tragedy, I just want to talk about the distinct differences in the expressions you see up behind me. Because one face represents a stressed face. One face represents a not-so-stressed face. Uh, since COVID, most of my counseling that I've done has been video. And as I do this... I've met complete strangers on the other side of that video, and I can tell you that it becomes a very key thing to look at the muscles in their face to see how stressed they are, to know where we go from there. It's a key thing. Notice, pay attention, how somebody is. Uh, from time to time, I have somebody reach out to me because they know somebody else is stressed by what they see on their face. You wear it on your face. Most of the time, people wear stress on their face. So I wanted you to see these because I want to talk to you about how God said in the scripture we just read that <clears throat> he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. You'll see this square go up behind the face, the domain of darkness. He has delivered us and he has transformed us to the kingdom of the beloved son. Now watch the, ah, that's where he transferred us. So the way it's supposed to work is that God takes us from this extraordinarily overwhelming world of darkness when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior and we shift to holiness. We shift to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, as I show you this image up behind me, I hope you're doing a self-evaluation thing. How, is, how are the muscles in my face? How am I wearing what's happening on the inside? What am I expressing to other people on a regular basis? When my kids see me, when I go into that video conference, when my coworkers come in contact with me, 
when I run into people at church, what's happening on my face on a regular basis? Now, understand, there are times when it's perfectly fitting for your face to express the stress that's happening inside of you, for you to be bothered, a death of a loved one. That should bother you. Um, different difficulties in life, they, they bother us. That's okay. That's, part, that's normal. But I'm talking about on a regular basis, Christians should be shifted to a life of joy. So I hope you're self-evaluating. I hope that square could go around that appropriate face. I'm going to read that verse again to you because we passed over it so quickly. He has delivered the two verses, Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do I have a numbers person in this room? Somebody that just loves numbers? Anybody in this room is a numbers person? Katie, all right. Katie, can you uh, just count the number of people in the room? I'm going to ask you in a minute uh, what that is. I haven't counted. So as she's counting, um, I want to talk to you about the great omission. The great omission, I'm going to give you a paraphrased, this is actually a literal paraphrase. I've gone to the Greek and I'm giving it to you as the Greek strongly emphasizes, and it's in a paraphrased form. This is Jesus. Just before he ascended to heaven, he made a statement. I am the boss of you and everyone else, so you're going to make disciples. You know the passage, right? You familiar with it? Okay, we'll just keep that up there. What's the number, Katie? 27 is the number of the people in this room right now. Okay, Katie, since you're a numbers person, you can pull out your phone and do this if you want to. In a minute, I'm going to ask you for another number. I'd like you to take that number, 27, and uh, I need you to multiply it by uh, 3, and, and I'll ask you for that in a minute. In the great omission, uh, what we've done, and I, I call it the great omission because that's what we've actually done. I want to show you what it really should say. It's the great commission because we are commissioned. Jesus gave us an assignment. He gave an assignment to me, and he gave an assignment to you, each one of you. If you claim Christ as your Lord and Savior, he gave you an assignment. And as Paul and Timothy were praying for the Colossian church, it applies to us. We should be praying for our church in that we grow in the knowledge and the wisdom of God and, and all of those other things. But the things that jump out in both of those big chunks was bear fruit. We are supposed to bear fruit. Christians, we were very clearly told by Jesus, you can tell a good tree from a bad tree by the fruit they produce. And you can tell if they're a Christian or not, if they're producing fruit. So, I would like to show you an image. Here is a tree up behind me. And let me go ahead and put you on the tree represented by one apple. Here you go. See the apple that popped up there? That's you. Just you. And you might see the subtle thing at the, at the base of the tree. See that little CKCC1? That's you. I just gave you a number, and it can be yours. You can pick any other number if you want. But the one is one person, you. Now, and we got the one apple on the tree. One person knows Jesus. You. What happens if you actually take the great commission and not make it an omission and you actually decide, I must share Jesus with these people I'm excited about, that God put me in their path so they could come to know Jesus? 
What happens if you decide to lead two people to Christ? Look at that. Now there's three apples on the tree. Isn't that cool? And what happens if those two that you lead to Christ learn from you, and they, can't, they just can't help themselves. They love Jesus so much, they've got to tell other people, and they lead two people to Christ. Look at that. There's four more. What happens if those four then decide, hey, I can't help it. I've got to tell people about Jesus. Hide it under a bushel. No, then you look. There's eight more. And what happens if those eight, you see the idea, then there's 16 more that pop up on the tree behind me, and the tree starts to look like it's getting pretty full, doesn't it? And you might start to think, well, that's so cool. Can you imagine what would happen to our church if we did that sort of thing? Can you imagine that? Woo! That would be pretty cool. But we're not talking about the church. Remember, we're talking about you. CKCC1. That, that's, that's just what happens if one of us decides hide it under a bushel. No. I know there's, we, it's true. You might be sometimes planting seeds and other people reaping the harvest. That, that's absolutely true. That's scriptural. But too many times we use that as an excuse to not lead other people to Christ. I'm just a seed planter. I'm just, I'm, that's just me. I just, I'm not outgoing. I, so I'm not really good interacting with people. Let me, excuse me just a minute. Um, can we go back to, the, to what John said? Look at the verse behind me again. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And if you think about that great commission, Jesus said, I am the boss of you and everyone else So you're going to make disciples. He didn't say, if you're an outgoing person, if you're good with people, you can do this. But other people, you're just excused. No, no, this great commission is for you and for me. And if if I could, I would like to make you uncomfortable. If you could think about it, if I could call on you to name the five people you're currently working on as you're trying to lead them to Christ right now, could you name them? Could you? Who are they? If I could pray for them, if I came to you privately as we're out there in the lobby, can I pray for the five people you're working on right now? Can you give me their names? You know what would happen? Some of us couldn't name them because it's the great omission. We found excuses to ignore Jesus' command People are going to know us by the fruit we produce. I didn't make that up. Katie, 27 people in the room times three is what? 81. If each one of us in the room convinced two people to be interested, there'd be 81. We'd have trouble social distancing. We'd have to have the chairs right up here by the stage. And I realize the plague has gotten a hold of our community in in all kinds of ways, with all kinds of fears. I understand that. But I'm telling you, if each one of us do our part, we just can't help it. We're going to lead other people to Jesus because we can't hide it under a bushel. And people will see that we are bearing much fruit. And I love the fact that we serve a God 
who leaves no stone unturned. He gives us every tool at his disposal. We have the power of God at our disposal. There is nothing for us to be afraid of in sharing Jesus with the lost people around us because God is in us and wants us to be able to succeed at fulfilling his will. And I hope that you are encouraged by the very first part as we just barely scratch the surface of what we're getting into in Colossians. I am. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word that motivates me and motivates us. Help us to be your people and may it, may it show, especially to you. In Jesus' name, amen.